Shall we pray? Great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we humbly come before you, Lord, as your servants. Lord, asking you to speak through your word. Father, we have prayerfully done our best to offer to you the praise that is due your name. Lord, we have spoken to you. But Father, you only speak to us through your word and your spirit. And Lord, it's time for that part of the service. The primacy of the word, the centrality of the preached word is at the center of all of worship. Because it's you, our God, speaking to us. And Lord, may you undermine our complacency. Would you overthrow our thoughts of, uh, Lord, just stubbornness, callousness, whatever that may be. And Father, would you confront us with your word and change us? We know that this is the living word that's powerful, more powerful than any two-edged sword. May you use it to change us and transform us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One little boy's definition of Father's Day went something like this. Well, it's just like Mother's Day, only you don't spend as much. Now, I've been harping on that all week, right? We'll concede that one. Someone said, a father is someone who carries pictures where his money used to be. That's true, too. And the phone company tells us that calls on Father's Day are not as high as calls on Mother's Day. And most of them are collect. All right. Well, it is a an awesome occasion uh, to be a father and to have a privilege, the privilege of having children. It's a very special time. Being a father should be a priority and a high priority for our church family. There they go. There's a few coming up. It should be. Unfortunately, the high priority of the father is being systematically destroyed and attacked in our culture. You know this. There has been a devastating attack by our society on the male role. Of course, we adhere 100% to the dignity and equality of personhood between male and female, yet there are differing roles. There's a functional difference between a man and a woman, and our society is tearing that down, of that essential understanding. And so we know that there are devastating there's a devastating recourse to men and the male uh, not and fathers not leading as they should because the Bible lets us know that the sentence goes down to three to four generations of tragic life experiences of disastrous proportions because the Scripture makes it clear that the sins of the fathers are visited upon the third and fourth generation. What does that mean? Well, where you have a decline of the essential role of a father, it takes three or four generations to root out the evil that is produced. Can we not see this clearly in the United States of America? That this is what we're facing in our day. The family is not what it once was. This is not leave it to beaver days. And we know that. We see it. And I think the need is for us to have revival. And if we're ever going to have revival internationally, you first have to have it nationally. 
To ever have it nationally, it must become first locally. And then if you're ever going to have it locally, it has to be started with families, right? Individuals in that family that the Lord God is working in. And what I want to talk to you about today is just that. Unless the Lord builds the house. So make your way to Psalm 127. This is an incredibly encouraging psalm. It's a reminder to both husbands and mothers. It's a reminder to wives and fathers and mothers. It's for everybody. It's an encouraging word for those who are working hard and for those who are trying to provide for their families and for those who are raising children. And all of the activities, whether it is in hard work to provide or the hard work of raising kids, it is God who is the one who is ultimately at work. This is what Psalm 127 reminds us of. It is a unique description of the home, what it looks like when God is at work. Years and years ago, there was something that came up called form criticism. And if you study the Bible at all or read any history, you'll know that what these form critics did was to try uh, to rip all the miracles out of the Bible and or to try to figure out what necessarily or who actually wrote what. Like if you deal with the Psalms, you would say, well, did Moses write this psalm? Did he really write this psalm? And the form critics would say, well, it could have been this person or that person or this person. Well, when it comes to this one, Psalm 127, it bears the superscription of Solomon. Well, liberal scholars immediately say, well, I just don't think that's possible that Solomon wrote this psalm. Well, I think, it's, I think he did, for sure, write this psalm. As a matter of fact, Solomon's name is ascribed to about three of the psalms, and this is one of them. But even if the form critics got, let's just call them liberals, even if they say that Solomon did not write this particular, even if they give Solomon the benefit of writing Psalm 127, they will say that when he speaks of a household or building a house, that Solomon was referring to the temple, and they would use the word children in a more pointed sense of sons to say that he was speaking of the Davidic dynasty. Yet, folks, I'm telling you, this is just simple instruction, much like you would see in the Proverbs of what familial life should look like, what domestic life should look like when God Almighty is working in the home. It makes no sense for us to get to verse 3 and it say, Behold, children are an allotment from the Lord if this is about a temple and Solomon and a Davidic kingdom. It's not. It's family instruction. So I would say to you that much like we find in Proverbs. Well, I think we need to hear this today. Uh, when you preach a psalm, you can't preach it like didactic material that's found in the epistles. or, or a, This is more uh, of parallelism. Okay, So let me tell you what this is about and then preach it to you and then give you a few applications. Y'all won't go? Right? Unless the Lord builds the house. Here are the two things I want you to track with me with as you look at it. Number one, write this in your notes. You've got a whole blank page. God is sovereign over all of our domestic responsibilities. Amen? Right? The second thing is God's help and protection are necessary in all areas of life. Those two things you should track through as you read the psalm. There, there's a little bit of shifting back and forth between those two things as you read the psalm. Are you ready? Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city... 
the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Praise the Lord. May God use his word to accomplish his purposes. Now sometimes we just think that we do what we do because that is what we do and we're good at it. Sometimes that's our thought process. The fact is, unless God is helping and giving and blessing, the Bible says it's all vain. Do you notice that in the text? Life is really more than hard work and good ethics and good business practices and good parenting skills and principles. Life is always more than those things in order to experience God's definition of success. Ironically, most of the preaching you hear today is driven by those four things, but they leave Christ out. And they leave the gospel out. And they leave the fact that God is sovereign over all activities. So it's more do better preaching than it is God infusing your life to do the things that God calls you to do. But you see clearly in this psalm that all of life is vain unless God is building and protecting. So what we see in this text. He's simply giving the, these instructions for families. Working hard and raising children. We can all identify with those things. Now, is there something spectacular about building a home? Unless the Lord builds the house. When we see those words, we, we could go in a couple different directions, could we not? Unless the Lord builds the house. So... I think there are two emphases that could take place. One would be the actual building of a physical home. But there's a more substantial way of thinking about Psalm 127, and it's the right way, and it's the idea of building a household under God. It's building a family. So the idea is that those who build such things, homes and households, unless God does the building in all of this, our labor is absolutely in vain. He's not saying when it comes to building a house that you will just arrange all the materials and put them out and God picks up a hammer and builds it. No, he's saying that in the act, the idea is that you're still building and you're doing the activity but what does it mean to say the Lord builds the house? Certainly it means that you build it by faith with God's provision. We know full well who's leading. You build it in dependence on the wisdom of God, folks, which comes from His Word. You build it from the wisdom of God. And ultimately, you build for His glory. And unless the Lord is superintending the building... And unless he is providing the wisdom and the insight for the building and giving the strength for the work, then the one that is laboring is simply laboring in vain. That's the strength of those words. There is a way to build, ladies and gentlemen, uh, households when we don't even stop to think at all about God's provisions. There's a way that we can build. You know, Paul would remind us of that. 
there is but one foundation. Be careful how you build on it. Correct? What kind of materials you're using? Well, we don't at times think about God's wisdom when it comes to building a home. We often think more about culture and what they're saying and how to be in the know and, and how to be like other people in the world, but we don't think about what God says. In fact, all you have to do in the, in the minds of the world is just to have a few children and get a little wisdom under your belt, and you got this thing. Folks, that's never the case, is it? We know better. Uh, we can go about building our households without ever giving any consideration to what the builder and the protector, God Almighty, has to say. Folks, understand something. God is sovereign over all domestic activities. He is sovereign. So believe it or not, there are professing believers who never stop long enough to say, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Holy Word of God has to say, have to say about this particular decision I should make? Or about many things that we deal with with our family. We need to build conscientiously, don't we? And we need to do so for the glory of God. Now, the word vain is the word emptiness or nothing. Sometimes it just means a little... There, there's different Hebrew words for vain, but this particular one here means ineffectiveness or futility. It means emptiness and nothing. It's the strongest word you can find. So the picture painted for us in the Word of God is that even in the common activity of building up a home and raising a family and having a, a marriage under God and bringing up kids in this world, God is the sovereign God behind that building. And unless He is, all of our efforts are absolutely futile. I hope you see that. Not only is it the Lord that builds the house, but it's also the Lord God that is guarding the city. Now, does that negate the need for a watchman? No, it doesn't. You're still called as a watchman to protect. You're still called to fulfill what God would have you do as a watchman. Solomon is not saying, hey, leave your post. But what he is saying is, unless the Lord God Almighty is guarding the city, the sovereign Lord, then uh, we do so in vain. Unless the Lord is guarding the city and ultimately protecting the home, the city, doesn't matter how many watchmen you put on the tower, uh, ultimately it's in vain. The watchmen are actually all in vain. Why? Because true security only comes from our sovereign God. You can use uh, Jim Metcalf's burger alarm system if you want to. You can buy the best stuff you could ever have at your home. But ultimately, if God Almighty is not guarding that home, Katie, bar the door. Really. The security, according to this text and protection, comes from the Lord. Now, verse 2. Listen to this. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Now, some of you are thinking, I knew this. It's in the Bible. Right? I know you're thinking this. Praise Jesus. I get to sleep. See, proof text, numeral uno, right? Right there in the text. It gives it to us. Well, and the Bible says it's also vain to retire late. And some of you are thinking, well, watch the blues. So you thought I didn't know they won, didn't you? Watch the blues and go to sleep and all is good. Eat and go to bed. Life is so simple, isn't it? The Bible says. 
Well, we know that this is not what Solomon is saying to us. He's talking about the ineffectiveness of hard work unless the Lord is in it. The ineffectiveness of hard work. He hasn't changed subjects here. The only thing that changes in verse 2 is it doesn't say unless. But it's supplied, right? So the fact of the matter is, the picture here is that you rise up early and you burn it all day and you go to bed late at night. This is actually called a mirrorism. That in, in, in an understanding of, of uh, the English language, we would say it's a mirrorism. So it's at the top, or, or rising up early, going to bed late. It's the holistic picture of all of life. In other words, you could be at this and working at it. You can be the early bird trying to get the worm. And you can burn the midnight oil. And the fact of the matter is, if it's not fueled by the God of eternity, then your labor is in vain. So the picture is, it's kind of like morning, night, head to toe. We get up, we rise up early, we work really hard, we work all day long. And unless God is working in this home and blessing this home, it's all in vain. So, if it is not designed, if it is not carried out on its way to please our God and to bring Him glory, that's the issue in this psalm. That is, if it's not done in full dependence upon the Lord who builds, and the Lord who protects. You know, folks, hard work without the Lord's blessing is an effort of futility. That's what he's saying. Now, does this have the potential to make a difference in your life, in what you do? When you understand that it is God who builds and protects. You understand that you can work extremely hard. And verse 2 would remind us that it's vain to rise up early and go to bed late. If God is not fueling it. It should change our lives. Now notice the next phrase. Does it sound too appetizing for any of you to eat the bread of anxious toil? In other words, folks, if God is not leading and protecting, if God is not the center of your home, it actually ends up being something that is not very appetizing. It is anxious toil. You get up early, you burn it all day long, and yet you're filled with anxiety and you're filled with fear and pain. And you're simply doing all that to get some bread for your family. But in the end, it's all vain. Wow. Huh. Is a long and industrious day wrong? We need a good work ethic, don't we? We need the good Protestant work ethic. But if the food is, that is produced through labor is in stress, and the family eats of the food so produced... It is a life that's going to be a life of fear and anxiety and not trusting in the Lord. You know what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't prop on your own understanding. Don't lean on side of your own understanding. But acknowledge Him in all your ways and He will direct your path. So this is futile. This can kill the body as quickly as it can kill the soul. Anxiousness. Eating that, that's, that's, the, that's what you're getting. That's the f only food you get out of this kind of life when the Lord is not at the center. Is Solomon asking us to be slackers? Hey, let's just cut the amount of hours during the day, right? Let's just work six instead of eight. That's not what he's asking. The Bible extols hard work, but it's in the context of allowing the Lord to be our strength. For the Lord to give our provisions. For the Lord to bless us. Unless God is in it. 
Whatever we set out to do, ladies and gentlemen, is worthless. God, we should say, would you give me the strength to work hard during this day? Would you allow my life to bring you glory this day? And whatever I reach out my hand to do, whether it's working hard or whether it's uh, being at home in familial life, whether it's raising kids, whatever it is called, whatever we set out to do, right? Note this interesting addition. Don't you like this? For he gives to his beloved sleep. What does this mean? Well, it means that God gives those whom he loves sleep. That's the exact construction. But God gives the ones he loves sleep. The person who trusts in the Lord. What would that look like? How about give us this day our daily bread? Instead of just assuming that it's going to be there, we know that it's God Almighty, according to the model prayer, that we get anything at all. It's the Lord that provides. I think that person can sleep at night knowing that God provides all things. Y'all listening? Anybody getting this? Yes. The fact of the matter is. Amen. And that person also commits his way to the Lord. When you commit your way to the Lord, you lay down at night and you sleep. You don't toss and turn for the most part. You can have heartburn from what you ate the night before. I get that. But as a general rule of thumb, you commit your way to the Lord. How about all your abilities? You give them to the Lord. It's to, it's to do a job. It's to work. Uh, whether you're pastoring a church or working a secular job, whatever that may be, we, we know that we don't have to be anxious about tomorrow because we know who holds the future. We know who controls tomorrow. We also know that the God of the mountain, if you happen to be on one this morning, is also the God of that valley you may walk through tomorrow. Amen? We know that. You know, anytime we complain or we're anxious, we're just filled with anxiety, is it not really that we're not fully satisfied in the Lord? Think about that for a moment. Yeah, we're human, but if you're in that rut all the time, you know what that, a rut is? A spiritual rut, it's a six-foot grave with the ends kicked out. I'm telling you, you're in it all the time and you never get out. Six-foot grave with the ends kicked out. If that's the case, you need to come back full circle to where's your dependence, church family. Oh, it's easy to complain about your situation. Oh, Lord, here I am. I, I can't believe this is all happening to me. Who's in control? The God who builds and the God who protects. He is absolute, 100%. All the time. Look, Psalm 121. Our Lord never slumbers nor sleeps. I like that. He will not allow your foot to slip. Isn't that awesome? That's the God who is in absolute control. Now again, He's not going to change. He's not uh, changing uh, translation. Or should I say, He's not giving a transition out of a different subject when you get to verse 3. Okay? He's still building upon it. Again, the only thing that's not there is unless. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Again, think about those overarching principles of the sovereignty of God over all domestic life and the fact that God helps and God protects. And here, the Bible reminds us that children are... An allotment, that's the literal word, 
from the Lord. In other words, it's still building on domestic activities. The Bible says this without equivocation, doesn't it? God gives children. Y'all see it? Right? He does. However, however, He doesn't just hand you one and say, Hey, do whatever you desire with it. When God gives His great gifts, He gives them as gifts to be cared for. Our children are to be nurtured and developed. So think about this. His gift of children comes with a call. It comes with responsibility. It comes with accountability. When Brother John was praying this morning, Brother Philip and myself and John was in there, John Young, and he said that in his prayer about fathers. Responsibility. Do you remember holding that first little bundle of joy? Your first kid? Now, as time goes on, you have second, third, fourth, fifth. I don't know if it hits you quite like it should, but it ought to. We think about that huge responsibility and accountability. I mean, Natalie, when did we get married? When we were like 12? So, I mean, no, I was 20 and she was 18. And when we came home with Timothy, we were like freaking out. We didn't really know what to do. We knew we had a responsibility before the Lord. We knew we were accountable. And we, we, we feel that sense. But I want you to know that your kids are given to you as a temporary gift. An allotment. That you're called by God to develop and nurture. You're called by God to pour yourself into your children so that they turn up and turn out to honor the Lord. Well, again, we are overwhelmed with a sense of responsibility. This is a living soul. He or she is made in the image of God. And we sense this responsibility. We also sense that this child depends totally on us. Right? You know the analogies in the New Testament. It's almost as much like when you first come to faith in Christ, you need the pure milk of the Word of God, so in that you might grow and you still need it. Uh, it is thus, it is abnormal for a child not to grow. But you have to be there, number one, as that, as that kid's sense of protection and growth to help that child at that point. The Bible says here, the fruit of the womb is a reward. Emphasizing again the gift of children by our sovereign God to us. Again, remember, God is absolutely sovereign. Here's what I want to say this morning. No matter how they turn out, boy or girl, they are seen to be, seen to be in the Word of God, not a recompense, meaning based upon how good you've been as a parent in your day, uh, how good you were before you came a parent, became a parent, or how bad you were. God is not repaying you for your goodness or your wrongness. He is giving you kids because they're a gift from Him. God is giving kids because they're a gift from God. He's not paying you off one way or the other. The fruit of the womb is a reward. As a man and a woman come together in marriage, and let me say that one more time, a man and a woman come together in a heterosexual marriage. That's the only marriage that God sees as valid in the Bible. If uh, marriage is meant to be between anyone else, God would have said it. But God's intention with marriage is male-female, and it depicts the greater grandeur of the picture of the Bible is that the bridegroom is coming back, right? And we're the bride, the church. You can't skew those. If you skew those, you mess up the entire revelation of the Bible. That's why this is a big deal. God gave us marriage as an analogy of an already existing reality. That the King, the Lord Jesus Christ, loved His church and gave Himself 
for it. But I want to remind you that one of the greatest benefits of a marriage relationship is to have children. It is. And let me tell you something that's even uh, more special than that. Proverbs 17, verse 6. Listen to this. Grandchildren are the crown, listen to this, of the aged and the glory of children is their fathers. I think one of the greatest things about having children is they one day give you grandchildren. I'm telling my boys, you've got to step up. I mean, what's the deal here? I've got them that nine hours away, you've got to step up. Right? You believe God is sovereign, folks? Do you believe that God opens and closes the womb? Watch it. Do you? Well, the Bible tells us He does. And we know that there are husbands and wives who desire to have those precious children. And for some reason, the sovereign God has not allowed them to do so. And I want to encourage you, if you're young, I hate to say this, but even if you're older, for all of us, I mean, there are a lot of kids out there that need good families. So I encourage you to read books on adoption. Think about what it means for you to be adopted by the Father. What an incredible understanding of that. And the fact of the matter is, I, for the life of me, cannot figure out biblically, if if we're dealing with believers how two individuals, a husband and a wife, can come together and not have a desire to have children. You say, well, preacher, that's a little bit iffy. That's edgy. I don't care. You do understand that in the book of Genesis, one of the primary reasons that God brings a man and woman together is that they can be fruitful and multiply. So I'm not not, uh, telling you the number here. I'm just telling you that we need to be really, really, really careful that we don't break a divine trust when we get married. If you get married, one of the main reasons is that you bear children for the glory of our God. Do you believe that they're a gift from God? That the fruit of the womb is a blessing from the Lord? Well, I know in our culture that marriage is more about the happiness of the man and the happiness of the woman, and they don't care about anything else. But I'm just telling you, that's not Bible. The Bible tells us what God intends for us to do. And I'm so thankful for these young couples that are just having these babies left and right in our church. To God be the glory. Keep it up. What better way to grow the church than from within? Right? Just keep having them. All right. Again, we live in a culture that does not value children. I don't care what the political commercials say. You cannot be pro-child and be for the murdering of a child in a mother's womb. I don't care who you are or what position, Democrat, Republican, may the, law, may the God of the earth who created those babies chop your arm off up to the elbow if you would ever vote for anyone who would say it's okay to murder a baby in a mother's womb. You say, preacher, that's not fair. I don't care. I'm, tell- I'm a preacher of the word. I'm just telling you, abortion is murder. And so the fact of the matter is, don't tell me that you're pro-child and you want to help kids all over the world if you think it's okay to do dilation and extraction or any form of, of, of abortion, period. It's murder, ladies and gentlemen. Our God tells us that children are a gift from Him. Okay, let's move on. Y'all ready? The Bible says that... How many of you said this week, said this this week to your children? 
Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. How many of you said, come here, little arrow? Right? I mean, how many of you dressed your kids like this? But that's exactly what the writer says. Now, if you were a warrior, you couldn't drive over to Bass Pro Shop and buy you a handful of arrows. That's what I like to do. But believe it or not, some of those arrows are straighter than other ones. And you got to pay big bucks to get the real straight arrows. But you couldn't just go over to a place of weaponry during this time frame and just grab you a handful of arrows and be okay. What did you do with that arrow? You made it yourself. All right, think about God being sovereign over domestic activities and God helping and protecting. And here's the deal. If you got a crooked arrow, you're in trouble. Now, some of you are thinking, well, what does it mean to have your quiver full and you're thinking about all this stuff? Well, it's common sense that five can protect your place more than one. Okay? I mean, that's true. We understand that dynamic. But here in forming an arrow, the fact is that if you didn't use skill and you didn't mold that arrow the way it needed to be, it would not hit the target. I mean, uh, what's the definition of a, a bad arrow? Well, if the thing doesn't hit the center, if it goes off. So the fact is, the arrows will be shaped and well-crafted and useful in the hands of the ones that use them. And, the, and use them. The idea is that kids have to be shaped. Son, is that a hard job or what? I mean, it is. You do your very best to craft the people that God has given you the responsibility to do so, and you want them to be the kids that God would have them to be. Again, sure, your property was defended better by ten than one, but you have to decide what it means to have a quiver full. But here's what I'd tell you. Take as many as God puts in that quiver. Right? Give the, ch the children that God puts in that quiver, you have a responsibility. You know how many? No, that's one, five, ten. Have you ever read that stat in the U.S. where we have 1.8 children a year? I mean, I'm like, where do you get the point eight? I mean, is that like a three-quarters of a kid? What's the deal here? But the issue is God gives you his, the children. Now, make no mistake about it. Uh, we are shaping and we are crafting our kids and we want them to be useful for the Lord. Now, verse 5. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And the idea here is that a father and a mother in this psalm would raise up their children and they would end up standing with their father in the gates. In that public place of honor where they would discuss their situation in life and family, domestic life, they end up representing the mom and the dad, in particular the father. It's pretty awesome when your kids stick up for their dad, isn't it? I mean, that could be in a whole lot different kind of arena if we're just talking about standing up for them. <clears throat> but it's more important that they bring honor to the family name and ultimately honor to the name of Jesus. That's what we're pursuing. So we pour ourselves into them. Now, I want to ask you a question. What do we say about the children that don't turn out like the straight arrow we want them to be? Is that not what we're all praying? What happens when they don't turn out like the straight arrow. We pour ourselves into them and uh, they're not exactly doing or acting or thinking like we think they should biblically and we parented to our best and we prayed for them. I want you to remember this right here clearly. Children are a gift from God. Regardless of where you are at this moment with your children, they're a gift from God. Even the ones that do not turn out the way we think they should. They're a gift from God. 
Even the ones that are not manifesting the graces of the Lord in their lives and the gifts that God has gifted them with, that we've poured into them. And we're wanting God to, to magnify those strengths and see those children live for Christ. Even the ones that are a little rebellious are gifts from God. Even the ones that are a lot rebellious, they're still a gift from God. God does not nullify the gift in the Bible. The second thing I would say is that circumstance, under those circumstances, we need to think about Psalm 106. And basically it tells us to do this in Psalm 106, 44 and 45. We need to continue sowing with tears. Don't we? During that time frame in Psalm 106, when the people of Israel were so rebellious, when they all of a sudden came to their senses, they began to cry out to the Lord for Him to touch them again. And that's exactly what we need in our families. Right? Don't give up. Continue to sow with your tears. God knows. As the Bible says in Psalm 106, He hears their cries. And I think as a parent, I would hope that most of us in this room would, would want more than anything else for their children to have a vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that would be the overarching thing no matter what else happens. Is that those children love the Lord. Right? I would rather my boys or my daughter whoever that might, one of my children, I would rather them know Christ than to ever serve as President of the United States. I'd rather them be garbage collectors and love Jesus than have a 5,000 square foot home in the nicest subdivision and not know Christ. I'm telling you folks, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. You need, to know, you need to make sure you know what the main thing is. And when it's all said and done and we stand before the King, there's going to be a whole lot more said than done. I can tell you that. But the fact of the matter is, we're going to give an account to the king. And how we live for Christ, as it says in the scripture, we know this. We need to... It's hard to deal with kids when they know everything, right? They say to you, hey, you don't have to Google anything. I got it. Right? Your kid's that smart? You lie. There comes a time when they get a certain age, you don't even have to Google it. Just say, ask me, I'll tell you. And those kids just know everything. Is that irritating? Yeah. Is it frustrating? Yeah, it, it is frustrating. But the fact of the matter is, uh, we need to get down on our knees and plead for the grace of God. Why? Because God builds and God protects. We know full well who does this. Uh, should we, I think we ought to shun self-reliance. I thought about this this week. If your kids turned out sweet, perfect, which is not true, not completely, then take no credit for it. Because the Bible said God did it. Ultimately, all the glory belongs to Him. And if they're not so sweet, not living right, take no blame. That's my new parenting philosophy. <laughs> take no credit, take no blame. No, I'm, I'm sure. We all sense that blame, don't we? We all sense it at times. But here's the deal, folks. Don't give up. Don't give up. As a parent, you have a wonderful calling. What you do by His grace is not in vain. That's one thing we know for sure. Do it in the strength that the Lord gives. All right, I'm done. Here it is. Make sure that the Lord is in your home. I mean, we look at this and we say, how can we fix this? Well, folks, first you've got to make sure the Lord is in the home. If God isn't in the home, in the heart of a person, He's not at work in that home. You've got to make sure uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord in order for God to be at work in that home. You say, well, how do you know that? Because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
we also know that unless the Holy Spirit lives in you, then you're not saved. You ever gone to a sporting event and picked up that ticket to get into a sporting event? And it's perforated on the bottom of that ticket. And it says, void if detached. That's what you are if you don't know Christ. It's all void and detached. I think there are a lot of people, even in church life, that are trying to live for Christ, but they don't have the Spirit in them, and they're not saved. I think that's the problem sometimes. you got to know Christ. you got to know Him as Lord and Savior. You have to repent of your sin. You have to trust Jesus only for salvation. Folks, my encouragement is make sure that the Lord is in your home. Second, let your household be a place of grace. You ever had this going on? Snipping at one another? Well, folks, I'm just telling you now, we need to let forgiveness reign in your home. We need to learn how to love one another and forgive one another. You do know if you get married, you're going to have a lot of forgiving to do, don't you? Right? And Martin Luther, the reformer, used to say that. The greatest place God ever invented for sanctification is the marriage life. When you got one man and one woman, sinners, living under the same roof, you're going to be sanctified, right? You're going to be growing in that process of sanctification. And finally, practice high-profile faith. You want God in your home and in your life. Your children need to see you believe Christ and live for Christ. They need to hear what you believe. Let them see you believe. Let them watch you witness for Christ. Amen. Are y'all listening? Amen. Kids ever witness you read your Bible? Your kids ever hear you pray? Kids ever see you give a tithe unless you're teaching them that your money is more important than God? I mean, it's a good witness, is it not? There's a reason that some people need to take a stand for Jesus. Some of you men this morning need to take a stand for Jesus. And it's not just for the glory of the Lord. It's also for your children to see it. Oh, I can't tell you. Uh, Let me gather some thoughts here. I can't tell you what a difference it made in my life when I watched my dad take stands for Christ. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, I remember fishing trips. I mean, my dad died when I was 29 years old. I, I remember all the things he did for me. But I pointedly remember the times that he either gave a testimony in church or was on his knees or spoke for my ordination Oh, that's what I remember. I'm telling you guys, your kids are watching. And yeah, when you take a stand, it honors God, but you got, you got eyes on you. They're watching you. If we're lackadaisical, if we're passive, that's what they're going to be. If we don't put a high premium on modesty, neither will they. Are you all listening? If we don't put a premium on certain things, the marriage relationship, If we don't teach them that it's one man for one woman. If you allow the college to teach them, you're in trouble. We teach them what the Word of God says, and we model it before our children, folks, unless the Lord builds the house. We need revival, and this psalm is the answer for revival. Amen. 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 Let's pray. God, and we thank you for loving us. And Lord, let that stick into our minds. Void, if detached. Lord, we want to be vitally connected to the vine. And that's only possible through the gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, Lord Jesus, that you offer. 
A once for all sacrifice that forever cleanses us from our sins, gives us a righteousness that is not our own. It's a gift of God, not of works, given to us. Lord, if there are some fathers in here that are lost, Lord, would you save their souls? Lord, Father, would you send salvation, salvations of the Lord? Would you weave that glorious gospel spell in their hearts? It is the beauty of Christ that leads to repentance. God, let that take place. For Christians, Lord, Father, help us all. We stumble. We fall. We're not perfect parents by no means. There are so many things we look back over. And even today, we think, Lord, we should do this. We should. God, we need your help. Unless you build, unless you protect, God, help us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Before Brother David prays, I want to remind you that you've heard sermons like this on Father's Day before. What you do with the Word now is so vitally important. Right? We're so often like bad film. Right? We're overexposed. And void. Not good. Right? We just get all this exposure. But we're underdeveloped. Bad film. Overexposed, but underdeveloped. Shouldn't be that way as God's children. Let's respond to the Lord. Let the Word of God come into your life and receive it and live it.